and welcome to Essential Work, exploring the past, present, and future of jobs. This podcast is brought to you by the Battle of Homestead Foundation. I'm Nathan Ruggles. I'd like to thank you so much for listening. Now, every week we're here bringing you stories and perspectives, interviews. It's all about what people on the job are facing, what they have faced, what they will be facing, and what we all are facing. We discuss the struggles of workers, the struggles we face in the workplace, also the hopes and promises of jobs that pay decent wages and benefits and decent conditions, and yes, dignity, whether it's of people in history, those today, or looking to tomorrow. So we're proud to now bring you our second episode. Coming up is the first of what will be a monthly feature called Working Overtime. That's with our regular experts, our commentators, Rosemary Trump and Charlie McAllister. We'll be engaging in a discussion of worker health and safety. Obviously, such an important topic right now in this time of a pandemic. Now, after that, as we will each and every episode, we'll close out with a music selection, a theme related to the topic with Larry McCullough. We'll also be talking with him about upcoming online events that you can view or even join in these hosted by the Battle of Homestead Foundation. Now, they sponsor this program. You can check them out at battleofhomestead.org. While you're there, please consider a contribution. It supports their good work. It also supports this podcast. I also want to mention that we are now on Apple Podcasts. You can check us out there. While you are there, please give us that five-star rating. That really helps us out. It lets people know we're there and, and recommends us. You can also recommend us share this episode on your favorite social media as well. Now, if you haven't heard our premiere episode, be sure to check that out. It includes an interview by host Patty DeMarco on coming together for a 21st century economy for all of us with Reimagine Appalachia. You can also find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, and more is on the way. And you can always check us out on our website at essentialworkpodcast.org. That link and more is in the episode description. So now without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Rosemary and Charlie working over time. Welcome back to Essential Work, exploring the past, present, and future of jobs. This is Nathan Ruggles here with you again. And we are launching into the first time for this segment here called Working Over Time with Rosemary Trump and Charlie McAllister. So I'd first like to introduce Rosemary. She is a longtime organizer for the Service Employees International Union, or SEIU. Rosemary, thank you for being on the program. Well, it's exciting to be here. Thank you so much, Nathan. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, we appreciate you. And it's exciting to have you back on the air, which yes, we had you two together on a program called the Union Edge Labor's Talk Radio for a long, long time running up until a couple of years ago. So that brings me to Charlie, Charlie McCullister, a past president of the Pennsylvania Labor History Society and the Battle of Homestead Foundation, I should remind you, is the sponsor of this program. Charlie, it's, of course, wonderful to have you back on the air again. 
Great to be here, especially with Rosemary. And we used to empty our spleen together, and now we can do it again. <laughs> yes. There's a lot to... A lot of cleansing, anger cleansing. out there. <laughs> That's right. There's a there's a lot to talk about. Yeah. I had the pleasure of talking to both of you mm. before, and it's great to have you back, giving folks an opportunity to hear everything you have to say with this idea of talking about the present, but looking at it through the lens of history, right? Uh, and you two both are not only steeped in the history of work, the history of labor and unions, but understand how that applies to today. So, and speaking of today, so one of the uh, one of the big things that is affecting workers right now is, depending on when you're listening to this, uh, we are in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic right now that hit here in 2020, and it's had a big impact on the workplace and on workers. And Rosemary, I know that certainly the idea of health and safety in the workplace is. It's wrapped up in this whole idea of the pandemic. Oh, absolutely. And the fact of the matter is, is that every time a worker leaves their home to go to work, they are truly risking their life or at least their health. There's no doubt about it that the way that the coronavirus uh, is spread is by social contact. So whether you go to a grocery store to be a grocery worker and come into contact with hundreds of customers a day, or you're a retail worker at a drugstore or at a gas station, if you prepare meat, uh, <laughs> that that's very dangerous because you're in such an enclosed circle where it's uh, the humidity is high and the air transport uh, viruses very easily. So the fact is, is if you're a driver, if you come into contact with people, you're putting your life at work. And now we call these workers essential work workers, but they've always been essential workers. But now we have a true appreciation for them because some of us have the luxury of being able to stay home for the most part, 90% of the time and not go outside to possibly contract that terrible virus. And as we know, I mean, here in, you know, a five-month period, it began in March. There's been five and a half million cases here in the United States during that short period of time. And over 170,000, 175,000 people have died. And a large percentage of those were exposed at work. Certainly, certainly. And you mentioned the idea of like essential workers and this new sort of new name that's come about, right? This isn't something, this isn't a term that we used before. No, it is not a term that we used before, but there are those who are in power who like to diminish some jobs and claim that they're not worthy in order that they can pay them little, if any money and no benefits. And there are, of course, Thousand, well, there's millions of, of jobs in that category where people make minimum wage or, or slightly above without, sure. any, without any benefits, without any pension, without any health care, without any sick leave, without any uh, time off with pay for any purpose. And, of course, they claim that those, were, those jobs are superfluous, and that's why they are entitled to be paid so little. But the fact of the matter is any job that's worth your effort, time, energy, mind, skills, crafts, 
needs to be paid a living wage with benefits. And this is an opportunity. This is the time when we as citizenry need to promote and support unions to rebuild again and to have the opportunity to represent workers for every purpose, but certainly during this pandemic period to represent them, to make sure that they are at least getting the equipment they need, the supplies they need to be able to work as safely as they can. And this Certainly. is the really the the goal of representing workers today. And you know that whole idea of like that essential worker it, that's inspired this entire podcast, which Absolutely. is called Essential Work. And to coming back around to what you're saying, you know these essential workers, as we're calling them now in the midst of this pandemic, they're a certain type of worker. And and you you were with the SEIU, the Service Employees International Union, which was service employees, yes, right? Healthcare and, workers, and- janitorial employees. I mean, talk about uh, exposure. I mean, the, your first line of, uh, if you if you come down with the flu, you immediately want to see either a doctor, a nurse, a practitioner of, in healthcare of some type and to be cared for by them. And therefore, the worker who is caring for you is is needless to say, possibly exposing themselves to your virus to in order to, to aid and make you healthy again and make you feel better again and make you well again. So the fact is, is healthcare workers, janitorial workers, every, every worker in the public sector, that's the whole premise of being a, a worker, is you're providing services to people in the public So whether it's a highway, if you're a policeman, if you're a fireman, if you're a paramedic, if you're a teacher, the fact is, is that by going to work, you're literally taking your life into your hands. And we, as a government, as a society, as unions, need to work to protect everyone because by protecting workers means it's going to protect me in case I ever have to be a patient in case I go to the grocery store or if I go to the gas station to pump gas, it protects me if the worker is safe as well. So if we're going to have an economy that functions, we have to solve this problem together. And one of the key ways of solving that problem is making sure that every worker is working as safely as possible in the environment in which they are required to do their jobs Absolutely, which is, has been an issue for a while, but right now, obviously, is of particular importance. And you mentioned two things which I think are, are worth talking about. And Charlie, jump in here at some point if you have a thought on this, but both in terms of how workers' health and safety is insured. So you have unions that help do that, but then we also have uh, government, we have law as well. Well, uh, so we should have a law. We do yeah, have well, a law. The question is whether or not that law is going to be enforced or sure. not. And, sure. So talk about the law in current day around the issue of worker health and safety. Truly. we Currently, there is a law called the Occupational Safety and Health Act, OSHA for short. But that law does provide that workers <clears throat> are to be provided a safe environment. And if they feel that their lives are being threatened or that the job is dangerous, under the law, they legally have the right to walk off the job 
in order to protect themselves and to protect their life rather than to possibly be uh, injured or killed on the job. And truly, this is an opportunity where unions, I mean, because the government is not going to enforce it, there's 7 million workplaces and there's less than 1,000 inspectors. So these are government inspectors. Government inspectors, OSHA inspectors. So their job is to go in there and enforce this law, right? Exactly. But how can how can a fewer than a thousand workers inspect seven million workplaces? Even you know, even if you gave them a year or two years or ten years, it would be impossible to do with a thousand or fewer workers. So the the only even without even without the coronavirus in a pandemic, right, right? Exactly. Even without the coronavirus, there at every workplace. So the actual requirement is, is that we have to demand that every worker have the opportunity to have a union representative come to their aid to work with that employer where they feel that the employer is not, in fact, living up to the law or or even in, in reality or even in spirit. And this has got to be, we have... The government now has an opportunity to basically deputize the unions to do this function because we've been doing it for years in the workplace and we're trained to do it. We know how to do it. We know how to work with ocean inspectors. The fact is we need every workplace so that workers can be protected, their jobs can be protected, that the employer can function and make money. And that's the key here. By us being able to do our job, will give the opportunity for every employer to have employees make them money. So it's a win-win situation. It should be a win-win, right? Right, Right. exactly. So so in a situation, say right now, right, when you have one of these essential workers or one of these service workers who, who don't have the benefit of that union support that you're talking about, right? And, and by the and way, they, that's... Mm-hmm. That you're talking about 95% of the workforce. Only oh, yeah. Five percent, only five percent of the private sector workforce is organized into a union. Only five percent. So we're really talking about 95% of every private enterprise that does not have the opportunity to have a union represent them for purposes of protecting them. And so that's why this is such a desperate situation. Now, in the public sector, over 30% are represented by a union. And so now is the time for employers, the government, and unions work together to secure our economy, to secure people's businesses and enterprises, and to secure workers' jobs and incomes and health and safety. And for those who don't have that protection right now, we're certainly hearing stories about what they're facing when they don't have, they don't feel like they have a union that has their back, right? When, right, when they want because- to come forward to say, I don't feel safe because I don't have a mask here at work or, or we don't have cleaning supplies and such, correct? Right, because what will happen is nine times out of 10, the employer will say, well, we don't need you to come in tomorrow. And really, yeah. they're risking their jobs and their livelihoods. So the, the fact of the matter is every worker has the choice, the Sophie's choice of deciding, do they go to work for their paycheck or do they perhaps die 
in order to get that paycheck. And what a terrible choice. Yeah. And that choice, it's not necessary to have that choice. No one should have to make that choice. Charlie, did you have something to add? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's not only, too, that we have a problem that most people aren't organized or have representation, but many, many of the people who do are organized and do have representation are under attack, and they aren't listened to. So we have you know, sanitation workers, we have health care workers, we have education workers, we have postal workers who are right at the front lines of keeping this society together. And in many states and on the national level, virtually no voice or participation is given to those workers to talk about the crisis we face and the real steps that can be taken to alleviate it. So the the lack of workers' voice is not only because people don't have unions, but it's because government, particularly from the top and the federal level, has turned its back completely on it and refusing to listen to those workers who have that firsthand knowledge and have that ability to respond in an organized fashion, if, as Rosemary said, they were brought into the process, listened to, and their organization was encouraged rather than attacked. And something, too, that I want to make sure to to hear what you two have to say about, because this didn't just start today or yesterday, right? One thing that we're bringing to the table here with this program is we're not just talking about the now, right? We're talking about what came before. So this whole idea that these ideas that you're both talking about here in terms of the safety, the health of workers in the workplace and struggling in order to maintain that some sort of safety, it's been an issue for a while, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the primary issue that got mine workers and steel workers to organize was their health and safety. And nothing has changed during that period, you know, from the 1800s to today, where employers basically said, look, you knew what the job took when you applied for it. If you don't like the work, there's the door. And that's what employers say today. They tell workers that, you know, that, hey, you, hey, you went into healthcare knowing the uh, liabilities. I mean, when workers have the uh, audacity to ask for protective equipment and or hazard pay, they basically say, well, you knew what you were signing up for. You went into healthcare. You understood that it was going to be dangerous. Well, no, nobody understood how dangerous it could be, and and it's it's outrageous. It's absolutely outrageous that there is not more empathy or sympathy by employers to try to work with their employees and their representatives to solve this problem. And if we don't get it under control, I mean, now you know we've seen the. What's happened this summer, we were hoping, I mean, our president of the United States said, hey, it's going to go away magically soon. And that was last March and April, he said that. Well, here it is. We're ready to go back to school. What's going to happen when all these students in various universities and colleges and high schools and elementary schools go back to school if they're not going, if they, if they're so-called choosing the option to go to the brick and mortar setting we're going to have a tremendous spike in this virus again, and we're going to be back to where we were last March, where potentially all the enterprises are going to have to be shut down other than those that are truly, once again, essential. Hold that thought. Charlie, I did want to come back to you. And in terms of this 
going back to, to our history around worker struggles and health and safety, in your mind, what from the past informs our understanding of, of the present in, in those terms? Well, I think we're we're obviously facing a much broader questioning of history in the present time with the Black Lives Matter, with the tumbling of Confederate statues. We are really looking at a total evaluation of our uh, past history, and certainly the the ignorance and and lack of response to worker health and safety is just a piece of a much larger puzzle that has confronted workers all along, confronted our people all along. It is very important, it seems to me, and that it's spent, Rosemary and I both have spent a good part of our lives trying to figure out how to tell workers' story, to tell the story of struggle, to tell the story uh, of trying to make a better community. And very critical to that whole thing, certainly in my life, was the civil rights movement, the organization of the right to vote in the South, the rise of black political power and particularly female political power in this year of the 19th Amendment, but also the year 150 years of the 15th Amendment, which extended the vote to to black people. The struggle for political power, for the political rights is absolutely central to our nation's history and to this present moment when it, and just like health and safety, like they're gutting EPA, like they're getting rid of regulations as if that's some great uh, achievement to get rid of the very things that have been fought for to protect us, wiping them out. We are really being forced, I think, to reevaluate our history in terms of the present, in terms of the problems that we face, the racism, et cetera. And particularly, I think the rise of female political power, which was very much on display in the Democratic Convention. But I believe this is incredibly important because who else is going to speak for the grandchildren? Who else is going to speak for Mother Earth and its its centrality in our survival? We are looking at an environmental collapse that needs to be addressed. And female women political power is essential if we're going to turn this huge ship around and get in the right direction and uh, do something constructive and positive about the future of our country, the future for our grandchildren on this earth. Well, and coming back to that idea, I want to come back to the idea of, of regulations. But before that, just coming back to that, you have essential workers and who are yes. these essential workers? Who are these service really? workers? And you mentioned women out there. Rosemary, I'm sure you, you know oh, very absolutely. well like, the folks that are doing this work that we're talking about, right? But truly, it, it is primarily women, and, and regretfully, those that are most susceptible to this disease, both in terms of illness and death, are African-American women and Native American women, as well as African-American men and Native American men. So the fact is that unless we have the opportunity to have unions help regulate this disease, it's not going to go away. And the economy is not going to make huge strides or improvement or go back to what we would like to see to become the, the normal normal. And, and here's the real threat. The real threat is that currently there is this law that provides workers safety and health. And, and if an employer deliberately does not provide that, 
workers have the opportunity to sue them for liability in the event of their illness and or their death. And there have there are cases going forward in that regard. And employers are now saying, oh, well, we can't we can't operate in a business environment with this potential threat of being liable. Well, if they don't want to have that potential liability, then they have to accept the fact that workers should have the right to have a voice about their health and safety conditions and representatives to articulate those concerns with them, namely unions. And coming back to what you said, Charlie, as far as regulations. Now, Rosemary, you had mentioned, you know, OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Act, and then administration, right? The law around this. But when we talk about regulation, it even goes beyond that in terms of the impact on uh, work health and safety, correct? Well, absolutely. And, and community health and safety. I mean, clear air, clean water, these things have already been largely under attack since the Bush administration. And this administration has just carried it almost completely wiping out most of the advances that were made in protecting our air, our water, our earth from pollution and poisoning. And we see an incredible rise in cancers among young people. And we refuse to try to find out what the source, the, the problem with a liability-based system, which is what we have, is that it's incredibly expensive to try to figure out, A, how do you figure out what chemical or what poison is doing the damage? Secondly, how do you afford possibly to go up against a corporation and get some kind of redress? The way it is done in civilized countries in Europe and Canada is that they have to prove before introducing substances into the workplace, into the economy, that it is safe and not noxious. You, the burden of proof should be on them, not on the people who suffer cancer and die from disease. Sure. That's, a, that's a, the, the wrong end of the uh, equation to be well, working at. Well, and historically, we've seen what happens when things are introduced, but we haven't Right. Examine what they are, right. screen them ahead of time, and, exactly. and and then we regret years later what we've done to well, and, not and just workers in the workplace, but ourselves and sure. in the in, in the environment we live in every day. Right? And the problem with a liability based system is that ignorance is a defense, and so ignorance is cultivated. Ignorance is protected. You ha they have to come up with secret memos that they, people knew about tobacco and cancer. They knew about so many of these. Most of these fracking fluids, et cetera, are well-known carcinogens. But under the right to protect business secrets, they're pouring all kinds of stuff down into our water tables, and we're not allowed to know what they are. We need transparency, accountability. We need to. We have a right to know what mm -hmm. people are doing to us. And this sure. has been the great problem that we only get to deal with the rear end of the system, not the front end. And we need a whole shift. If we're going to save this earth, we got to get out in front of it. And we got We need workers to do that. We need organized workers to do that. Like Rosemary said, we're, it can't be individuals that do it. We need organizations that are committed to do these things. And unions at their best have been some of the best defenders of the people and of the communities they live in. Sure. And, and you can have these laws in place, but the law is only as good as it's enforced. Exactly. And going back to what you said, unfortunately, in this not just this current administration, but others dating back 
even dating back years, decades, have failed to do so. One thing I would like you two to bring to our listeners here, we're in Pittsburgh, right? And it's a particular perspective that Pittsburgh can bring to the table here in terms of the history of safety and the history of health, whether it's safety in the workplace or, or Charlie, you'd mentioned the air that we breathe, right? Which has been certainly historically an issue here in the Pittsburgh area in terms of its effect on workers and in our health and our communities. Could you two talk about that a moment? Charlie, starting with you in terms of that. Well, obviously we have a long experience here, but on the other hand, there's always the competing problem of employment. Workers need to work. They need to have a job. And this is why so many of the building trades and construction unions that I love and respect deeply for their training, their knowledge, and the way that they impart that knowledge to the future generations is without equal. But they are focused totally on employment that is created by the corporations and the capitalist system. They do not get to choose. We need a government where workers have a voice in the direction where we're going as a nation, not just in how things, it would be great if they even had a voice all through how things were done, but we also, (laughs) workers desperately need, people need, this country needs a voice in where we're going, what kind of technologies we use, and we need to really understand the problems when we try to change radically the direction that we're going. Sure. Thank you, Charlie, for bringing us up to this idea of looking to the future. And I'd like to get some final thoughts from you two on where we go from here. But Rosemary, I'd like to hear from you in terms of what's the perspective from Pittsburgh, the unique perspective on Pittsburgh on these issues, both historically and up to the present, that Pittsburgh brings to the table in terms of these discussions? Well, Pittsburgh, of course, is the uh, cradle of labor. I mean, there are so many local ones, whether it's the uh, firefighters union or the uh, utility workers union. Charlie could probably recite them all. But the fact (laughs) of the matter is that mining and steel is what, along with the craft unions, is what created the labor movement And as a result of the National Relations Board decision involving the Aliquippa steel plant, uh, it permitted unions to organize legally under the law. And we've really only had that legal right to organize since 1935, 1936, 1937. So the fact is that Western Pennsylvania is the cradle of labor uh, and the impetus, the founding convention of the American Federation of Labor, the founding convention of the Congress of Industrial Organizations was here in Pittsburgh. And there's no reason by using this past history of union activism and organizing and addressing the issue of workers, once upon a time, we can't use the same opportunity as a result of this terrible pandemic to once again insist that workers have the human right, the civil right to be represented by an organization to help protect their life, their liberty, their property, just like employers have that opportunity. So it's time to bring back the three-legged stool that was created in the 1930s and 40s where unions, labor, government, and employers worked together to solve a lot of problems, whether it was 
the problem of war, the problem of supply, the problem of growing a middle class in this country. We've worked together. We succeeded. We need to do it again. And if we're going to get to this pandemic literally alive, right, it's going to require that sort of spirit and determination of cooperation among the elements of that stool. If we're going to see the end of this, the light of the end of the tunnel, and I, I would, <laughs> I would well, no, that's agree. It, it's and, absolutely and, true, Nathan. I mean, we've yeah. got billionaires that are have in five months have doubled their earnings as in, during this pandemic period. Billionaires, and the fact of the matter is, none of it is trickling down to the oh, workers and, in and, terms and, of providing yeah. for their health and safety or their incomes, sure. and that's... And, and, and that's not right. I mean, <laughs> well, and that billionaires and their impact through this period is a, is another topic that we need to talk about <laughs> at another time. But uh, thank you, Rosemary, for that bringing us up and to, to looking forward. Charlie, do you have any final thoughts in terms of looking forward to the future? Like, where do we need to go from here to get through this period and help ensure worker health and safety and getting us through this time? Well, I think it's really critical that. Uh, unions and their organizing and reach out and connect with those communities that are in struggle, like the uh, African-American community. It's incredibly important that we not be divided according to race. We, If anything, we should have learned from our long history is the terrible weaknesses that are created in the labor movement by ethnic divisions, by racism, uh, by sexism, and we need to rise above that. And I think it, this time, this is the time. And I think what I really like that phrase of Joe Biden when he quoted the Irish poet Seamus Haney about basically it's a poem about how hard it is to make real change. But every once in a while, there's a moment when hope and history rhyme. And he's hoping, and we are hoping that history and hope will rhyme and that we will have a breakthrough and turn this ship around and save the earth. And it's going to take women. It's going to take African-Americans. It's going to take Latinos. It's going to take Native Americans who love this country to help guide us through this turning around. Well, very good. Well, we're going to have to wrap it up there. Um, But thank you both so very much. It's such a pleasure I should let folks know that we used to sit in a studio together, but um, <laughs> right now we are sitting apart because of this pandemic. And But thankfully through technology is with some hiccups, we've gotten to here where we're able to do this apart and we'll continue to do so with you two on at least a monthly basis Amen. as part of this program. And certainly a pleasure. So Rosemary Trump, thank you for- Thank you. For, thank for you, Nathan. And Charlie McAllister, thank you as well. So great to be here. All right. And that does it for our first time here with Working Over Time as part of Essential Work, exploring the past, present, and future of jobs. And we'll be back here in just a moment with the rest of the program. And we're back here with Essential Work, exploring the past, present, and future of jobs. This podcast is brought to you by the Battle of Homestead Foundation. Uh, This is Nathan Ruggles here with you. And this is Larry McCullough. Well, Larry, thanks for being here for our closeout segment, as we're going to be in the habit of doing here with all of our episodes. You just heard Rosemary Trump and Charlie McCullister 
uh, our two feature commentators here on the program with their segment Working Over Time. Now, I uh, should mention Larry is a bit of our music guru. Can I use that word, Larry? Feel free. Aficionado. Yeah. Aficionado. Uh, what, what's what's the right thing? Well, I did go to college. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. And in addition to that, so we are going to uh, close out the episode with a song. Right, Larry? It's- Absolutely. Okay. And Larry bringing us a selection each and every week here for every episode of the program. And in addition to knowing music, uh, Larry is taking care of communications in many ways for the Battle of Homesick Foundation. Well, we have a lot of events. The program series has been pretty pretty diverse this, this year and pretty incredible because we switched all to online and uh, people can tune in really from anywhere in the world. And they have been. Our next program, for instance, is September 17th, which is a Thursday, 7.30 to 9 p.m. And the topic is protecting ourselves from the plastics invasion. And we have three members of the Allegheny County chapter of the Isaac Walton League, which is the uh, nation's oldest conservation organization. Indeed. And they're going to be talking about uh, really what plastics do to the natural and the human environment, how we can protect ourselves, cut back a little bit, meaningful actions that you can take. Obviously, besides lobbying your legislator for different laws, sure, regulating plastics, just, just things you could do every day. And that's Patricia DeMarco, Mike Stout, and Dee Kachurka who is a registered nurse and a uh, nutritionist. So these folks are going to be definitely talking about, you know, what plastics does to people personally and how we can uh, improve that. And again, that's September 17th. It's a free event and basically just go online and register and you'll get your Zoom panel uh, password. And like I say, it's a great opportunity to learn from a lot of local experts on subjects that really do affect affect us, affect us all. Yeah, and certainly you can find more information about that at the website, battleofhomestead.org, and and our Facebook page as well, which you take care of, Larry. Yeah, definitely. Just uh, always trying to get the word out. Uh, a lot of sharing going on with a lot of the events that happen in the uh, Pittsburgh and Allegheny County area. A lot of organizations doing a lot of great things, and we just try and keep spreading the word. And certainly, yeah, head out to Facebook and like our page if you want all those updates about that event and other things going on with the Battle of Homestead Foundation. As you said, Larry, you know, these events, which traditionally for the organization have been in-person events, now out there on Zoom. And should also mention Patricia DeMarco, Patty, who is going to be part of this upcoming panel for this event on the 17th. She is uh, one of our hosts here on Essential Work. And we'll be hearing from her again in another couple episodes, and we heard her just last week on our premiere episode. Mm-hmm. So thanks for filling us in on that, Larry. And that's not the only thing that we have going on, right, with the Battle well, of Foundation. Well, we have Charlie's Monday Marker, which is a series, essentially a guided tour of Pittsburgh's labor history sites, guided by Dr. Charles McAllister and produced by Jackie Cavalier and Jason Kendall. They put it together. Charlie talks, and it's just like being there. A lot of good historical background. Uh, you can find that on our YouTube channel. Also, a link is on the Battle of Homestead website. Today's episode, it was episode 11. And there's I think there's about 62 s- sites in the book. So we have quite a few to cover. So everybody get your walking shoes on. Um, <laughs> yeah, your virtu- yeah, your virtual walking shoes. Because like you said, there are the sites all come from the book. Yeah, and they're all around town and you can visit them you know, on your own after, after Charlie kind of gives you the history. So this one was February 4th, 1896. 
the International Association of Bridge Structural Ornamental and Reinforcing Iron Workers. But <laughs> it's a mouthful there. Basically, the Iron, iron Workers Union, the as iron we workers, know it, that's right. was created in meeting Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh actually, at that point, was a center for a lot of labor organizations coming together. And um, they have been historically marked, and Charlie definitely gives the background for them. So Charlie's Monday Marker shows up every Monday on Facebook and YouTube, so definitely check it out. Yeah, certainly a lot of those markers do reflect the labor history that is ingrained here in Pittsburgh, but that's not uncommon, right? This town might be certainly a hub of union activity in the past, but there is history for such activity all all around the United States and bringing that to you each week with the Charlie's Monday Markers. So if you have any comments, any suggestions for us, any sort of feedback at all, Hey, we take questions too, you know, we'll pass them on to, we have, I should say, a a big bullpen full of historians associated with this organization that can um, field your questions. And so feel free to give us a call at the number is 412-326-9435. That's our listener nine, 412-326-9435. You can also find that number in the description for this episode or send us an email, bhfpodcast.com. Dot Nathan at gmail.com. Send me an email and love to hear what you have to say about the program. Also, you can find uh, this episode, any past episodes we have at our podcast website, essentialworkpodcast.org. I'd like to also give a couple of thanks out to some folks who helped make this possible. Uh, we have an excellent logo. Uh, Brittany Sheets designed that for us. If you're looking for whether it's a logo or other sort of creative imagery, artistry, head to bsheetscreative.com. It's a letter B, sheetscreative.com. Also, we've had assistance, wonderful assistance from thatsoundgirl.com and that would be Angela Bachman helps us out with that thatsoundgirl.com is her website and uh, also Larry mentioned Jason Kendall his uh, only involvement with the organization is not just helping out with the Monday Markers program but he is a musician he wrote the original music for the program jasonkendallproductions.com you can check him out there so as we um, come here to the end of the program. We're going to jump into Larry's song of the week. I should mention that, you know, we were just talking with uh, Rosemary and Charlie focusing in our conversation about worker health, worker safety. Now, Larry, in the music world, is that a topic that we see come up occasionally? Yeah, it does come up a lot in uh, traditional folk songs. They've uh, A lot of cases have references to working conditions, and they're usually not good for the workers. You find them in songs, you know, sailing ballads, coal miner broadsides, uh, songs about factory railroad workers, even cowboys and hotel bellhops. Pretty much every kind of working <laughs> working occupation has, some, has been addressed by folk music at some sure. point. One song that directly addresses the issue of worker health and safety is a fairly recent one. And it's titled, We Just Come to Work Here, We Don't Come to Die. It's a very apropos to current conditions faced by essential workers. And it was composed by Harry Stamper from Charleston, Oregon in 1983. Harry Stamper was a poet and a folk singer, also a proud member of the International Longshore and Warehouse Union, local number 12 up in Coos Bay, Oregon. He died eight years ago. He was 67 years old. But he wrote a lot of songs about labor conditions that people were facing 
not only in his line of work, but in all the occupations through the Northwest Pacific region. We just come to work here. We don't come to die has become the anthem of the occupational health and safety movement. And probably the most popular and well-known recording of the song is by Pittsburgh singer-songwriter and labor activist Ann Feeney. She did a version in 2003 that was released first on her own CD, Union Made. Then that recording was included in 2006 on a major anthology album issued by Smithsonian Folkways. It was called Classic Labor Songs. Okay. And that album featured an incredible array of historic labor singers. Pete Seeger, Peggy Seeger, Woody Guthrie, Hazel Dickens, Paul Robeson, Utah Phillips, a whole bunch more. And Ann Feeney is right there with them. We hope to have Ann on Essential Work sometime soon to talk about her songwriting and her activism uh, and her career in activism. It's taken her literally around the world. Utah Phillips, in fact, once said that Ann Feeney is the best labor singer in North America. And she's been a great inspiration to musicians everywhere. Well, that would be wonderful to have her on the program, certainly, Larry. Um, I think if anyone can get her on, <laughs> uh, you, you could. And, you know, I think you've made an excellent selection for this program. Uh, you mentioned the health and safety movement. We talked about occupational safety and health administration, a big part of the history of this country. And uh, thank you for showing us how music has something to say about this, too. Yeah, apparently Harry Stamper, when he wrote this, he actually was sort of ordered by uh, his, his supervisor to go into an incredibly unsafe building to clean it out, I guess. And he just said, no, you know, we need a little safety uh, sure. here. And he got fired on the spot. And then he went home and wrote this song. We just come to work here. We don't come to die. The good news is he actually got rehired. But the even better news is this song has really become a, a real, real classic labor song. Excellent. You know, like a lot of people, he just was a normal guy, played guitar a little bit. And then I guess just to keep from going nuts, just started writing these songs. And then his fellow workers and people said, man, that's great. You know, start doing it publicly. Uh, yeah, but Anne's version is really cool. Harry kind of strums it. It's like just a solo guitar. Anne has a whole band back in her. And it, it's just amazing it made it onto this incredible anthology at the Smithsonian. She's probably like the only non you know, <laughs> a person that wasn't born in the 19th century that actually made it. <laughs> Seriously, it's it's a legend. I mean, if, you know, we should all be so lucky to be in, in that kind of pantheon. So that's great. Absolutely. And the fact that she's from here. Yeah. Something to be proud of. So. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Thank you, Larry. That'll do it. Working at this job is dirty and dangerous and I'm taking risks anyway. Twenty twenty one has been a year of transition for all of us. At the Battle of Homestead Foundation, they have discovered new ways to advance their mission of heritage, education, and social action. They expanded their educational outreach to include a weekly online tour of people's history locations through the Charlie's Monday Marker video series, as well as far-reaching discussion of social and economic trends with the podcast Essential Work, the past, present, and future of jobs. 
They presented seven timely online public panels featuring nationally known authors and historians. Topics included workforce shifts from heavy industry to healthcare, the women's suffrage movement, uprooted immigrant neighborhoods, protest songs in today's civil action movements, the 1921 Battle of Blair Mountain, historical roots of today's social philanthropy, and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania's world-famous City Steps. They established a professionally archived labor history collection, thousands of documents, photos, recordings, and remembrances of labor history spanning decades. They co-sponsored the Blair Mountain Centennial in West Virginia, honoring a long-neglected part of U.S. history with a landmark Labor Day weekend of events. They built a new and more accessible website, which you should check out at battleofhomestead.org. They did all this with help, the essential support of all the individuals like you who enjoyed the programming, appreciate the hard work of the citizens, workers, educators, and historians that make it happen, and value their mission to preserve, interpret, and promote a people's history focused on the significance of the dramatic labor conflict at Homestead, Pennsylvania in 1892. In 2022, they'll present a new round of thought-provoking programming. Membership, along with special donations, is essential to their success. Annual membership is only for retirees or the underemployed, and just $10 for students. Join now at battleofhomestead.org. You can also choose to contribute at any of a number of special donor levels, and donations are tax-deductible. Membership also provides multiple free admissions to a variety of historical museums and sites in the greater Pittsburgh area. Check out the details at battleofhomestead.org. As this singular year comes to a close, while we still may have much to be thankful for, we also all see the urgent necessity of doing more to share our progressive labor history to a wider audience and inspire a new generation of activists and organizers. Your membership and engagement ensures that the Battle of Homestead Foundation will continue to do just that. Show your support today at battleofhomestead.org. In solidarity, BHF thanks you and wishes you good health, positive spirits, and both peaceful and joyous days ahead.